0: Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with the leader of the Green Party of Ontario, Mike Schreiner. He'll be discussing the long-term care in Ontario. Due to some technical difficulties, you'll only hear part of the audio for Mike Schreiner in the first five minutes, and afterwards it clears up. Thank you. So let's have a listen.
1: Yeah, my pleasure to join you today on such an important issue.
0: Thank you. so Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. And we'll get started. So um, our, the first question will be, um, your green vision for Ontario focuses on three pillars, jobs, people, and planet. Can you describe looking at the current situation for those living in long-term care, how they can benefit from these three pillars?
1: Yeah, so one of the things we're really pushing right now is a green and caring recovery to, to the COVID pandemic. And that means investing in the caring professions as we focus on caring for people and uh, you know, for far too long, uh, long long-term care in particular has been ignored in Ontario. And unfortunately we've seen the tragic consequences of that this year uh, to lose almost 2,500 of our loved ones to COVID-19 is heartbreaking and it really highlights the need to to invest in higher standards of care, additional staff uh, for elders in long-term care. But it's broader than that. I think we need to reimagine uh, how we care for elders, period. Uh, We need more investment in home care, and we need to be looking at new care arrangements. So if I look at other countries' around the world and look at things like co-housing for elders where you can have your own independent living space but have some shared community spaces to address issues around isolation and loneliness. Um, To look at other forms of housing. So we're not warehousing people because I think quality of life is so important. And, And so looking at new models of care arrangements uh, so maybe smaller uh, facilities and homes for people, um, just more more um, dignified care uh, in whatever setting we have for elders. Uh, I think all of those a- aspects are, are are really important. And so when I think about people, it's investing in people. And when I think about jobs, it's investing in jobs that care for people. And, and ensuring that the people who, who care for our loved ones are provided with a living wage, have guaranteed full-time employment with access to benefits, have things like paid sick leave. So when they're not feeling well, they don't feel compelled to come into work and and you know possibly get other people sick. So there's a whole host of ways in which we need to invest in, in caring for people and the caring economy. And as somebody who's the leader of the Green Party, I would say that um, those are all like low carbon jobs, too. So if we think about addressing the climate crisis and needing to employ people in ways that don't contribute to pollution, well, caring for people <laughs> is, 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 you know, those are jobs that, that don't pollute, they don't contribute to the climate crisis, and they actually contribute to making our community stronger and more resilient. And I'll finally close by saying that I think we need to invest in more infrastructure that supports elders. I'm lucky here in Guelph, in my writing, uh, we have a community center that's just dedicated to well-being and better health outcomes for everyone.
0: Thank you so much for that. Yeah, those are great points that you made in regards to the situation and how to be able to kind of work to, to manage that. And so um, now within the the next question is I have here is, um, would you be able to describe as an outspoken advocate for local food and water, can you tell us in long term care perspective, how you see your government making changes in the current system with regards to meals and access to water?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, we need to make sure um, our long term care and retirement homes have uh, more money available to purchase healthy local food. Uh, I can tell you prior to going into politics, I was a part of starting up an organization that was working to get more healthy local food into schools and universities and long-term care facilities, hospitals, uh, various public institutions. And it became very challenging because the food budgets are so low and, and again, food is such an important part of people's health and well-being. Um, so much socializing happens around food. I mean, think about almost all of our celebrations are centered around sharing a meal together and just the importance of, of access to healthy food and clean drinking water. And if you look at some of the testimony that's been given to the public commission that the government set up uh, around long-term care. Um, It's been heartbreaking hearing many of the stories, but I was particularly struck by how many residents and family caregivers talked about the inadequate quality of the food available uh, in our long-term care homes. And so, to me, we can make this a win-win. We can support local farmers, which will support our local economy and help create jobs in our local communities. And we can uh, support residents in our long-term care homes to have healthier food, which then means their well-being and satisfaction and you know uh, life quality of life will be improved. Which then also improves things for the the staff that that care for those. Uh, Residents as well. And so to me, it's just a win 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 for everyone if we can invest uh, more in making sure people have access to healthy local food.
0: No, that would be great because the next question basically goes into the dollar amount. So, right now, currently, there's only $3 per meal, including snacks, are spent on Mm -hmm. daily processed meals for seniors living in long term care. Prior and prior to the um, the pandemic, seniors were repeatedly found lacking essential hydration while living in long term care. Does your party have a plan to change this?
1: Yeah. So, our 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 biggest plan is to increase the budgets for food. I mean, just I mean, just think about it in your own life. Like, how many people spend less than ten dollars a day on food? You know, I mean, just think about that for a second. I mean. Uh, even if you eat out out for one of those meals, that would be more than you know the entire food budget for a resident in a long-term care facility. and And so it's just completely unacceptable. and And so one is making sure those budgets are adequate to provide proper nutrition and hydration for uh, residents, uh, but also to make a commitment to sourcing more fresh uh, local, healthy food, so then we can support local farmers and local economies, but that local food tends to be, you know, it's not going to be highly processed, uh, and so it's going to have uh, more nutrients and, and just be healthier for people, and that will have other, other benefits to people's quality of life, uh, health outcomes, it'll reduce, um, I think it'll reduce uh, illness and, and just stress on residents. Uh, which will then just improve the experience for everyone, for family, for residents, for staff, etc.
0: And just to follow up with that, because... This would almost go into what you were saying in terms of having smaller communities because I know there are some long-term care facilities where residents can have a garden, they can plant um, vegetables and to be able to grow and to be able to use that. Would that as well fall into something that should be part of the discussion as well if it's capable that they can be able to do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say, um, just I'll give you a personal experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my my grand mother grandfather my grandparents um, when they moved into a retirement community and a retirement home and then an adjacent long-term care home uh, they were able to have a garden and my grandma especially I I grew up in a farm community but my grandma had always gardened and much of the food we ate you know came from our family's garden (laughs) and just even that physical activity the mental health aspects of it the connecting with nature the growing of your own healthy local food the sharing of it with other residents was just so important to building community quality of life mental and physical health so absolutely i, I think um, integrating uh, food production it, growing of food and cooking of food as well i mean Far too many um, of our public institutions, whether it's a hospital, long-term care facilities, schools, et cetera, have moved to kind of this this model where none of the food is prepared on site. And so then it oftentimes becomes highly processed, uh, less nutritious food. Um, cheaper uh, but you know uh, you get what you pay for and so I think integrating food production uh, both from a growing and a cooking of food I think is really important and I can't understate just the importance of building community around that and those shared tasks that people can do together and just how important that is to mental physical health.
0: Oh yeah I definitely agree and it does make a big big difference in just their lives, just as, as to how they interact with each other. So definitely that would be fantastic um, if that could be, you know, part of the discussion and part of the platform moving forward. So in rega- well, in regards to your party's taglines with real people, real solutions, you have said your party is committed to honesty, integrity, and making decisions that put people first. So back in late May of 2020, the Canadian military issued a report on the state of long-term care homes. Now, looking forward, what does your party propose in order to make improvements in the ever-growing long-term care system?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, the reading the reports from the Canadian military uh, did not surprise me, uh, but it still broke my heart. I mean, I don't see how any human being can read those reports and and not be heartbroken and not um, just in some ways actually be embarrassed yeah. that um, we as a society collectively allowed Those conditions to exist in our long term care homes and to think that elders who, you know, have contributed so much to our society and communities were treated that way is completely unacceptable. Uh, So, what we've been calling for is an immediate uh, investment of uh, $1.8 billion to hire more staff for long term care homes, to move to a minimum standard of care of four hours a day. (coughs) <coughs> excuse me and to ensure that the staff in long-term care homes uh, are paid a living wage and are guaranteed full-time work with benefits uh, we also have advocated for increasing the ratio of registered nurses in our long-term care homes uh, because we want to make sure that that there's adequate staffing levels and adequately trained staffing levels. Uh, in our long-term care homes to provide, you know, the care that our elders deserve. Uh, So that to me is an immediate, immediate issue. And Mm -hmm. so I was really disappointed, frankly, that over the summer when BC and Quebec were starting to hire additional staff in long-term care, uh, Ontario did not do that. Uh, I remember my very first question when we came, when the Queen's Park came back in September, was asking why (laughs) we were not hiring more staff for long-term care. And I remember the minister at the time saying, well, we can't just snap our fingers and hire additional staff. And I was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. That is why we should have spent the summer doing it. It's why we need to be working on it right now. We can't delay this because you're right. We can't snap our fingers. And so here we are, um, you know, six, seven months later. And, you know, the province finally yesterday put a dollar amount on, on long-term care staff, but, you know, they're not even going to fully implement that for another four or five years. And our elders can't wait that long. Like they need that care now. Uh, and, it, and it's also for the staff too. I can't tell you how many staff who work in long-term care are feeling burned out uh, underappreciated. And and really, you know, it's a very stressful situation. And so as care providers are stressed out and put in, in very difficult situations, that's going to affect the quality of care they're able to provide. No matter how dedicated you are, and passionate you are, how good of a job you do, there's only so much you can ask people to do day in and day out under very uh, stressful conditions. So to me, that's the most immediate need. And then I think we need to have a longer term vision of um, really just overhauling and rethinking elder care in general, like I I mentioned in answer to one of your uh, previous questions. And and I think one of the things that really needs to guide um, the way we approach uh, long-term care moving forward is that we need to ensure that we prioritize care over profits. Um, you know, I just found it so disheartening uh, to, to learn that during the pandemic, when many of our long term care homes had outbreaks or were in crisis, that uh, some of the for profit homes were providing, you know, dividends and like quite lucrative dividends to their shareholders. And I just felt that that was really tone deaf, and and really, um, you know, just just was kind of a slap in the face to those residents and their families, especially those who lost their loved ones. And mm-hmm. and related to that, I was just deeply disappointed with Bill two eighteen that the province brought forward to provide uh, immunity to uh, negligent long term care homes, uh, you know. To me, you know, I'm sorry, negligent homes don't deserve a get out of jail free card. As a matter of fact, they should be held accountable. And families who lost loved ones uh, due to negligence in long-term care, uh, they deserve access to justice and they deserve to ensure that those homes are held accountable. And so, you know, I've been I've been very disappointed. Uh, by the way in which the government the Ontario government Ford government failed to adequately prepare over the summer for the second wave and the way in which they continue to delay making the investments in the solutions that we need and on top of that they've added insult to injury by providing legal immunity uh, for negligent long-term care homes.
0: No absolutely right it's just been very disappointing to see some of the, the decisions made by the government. And um, in regards to, I guess, with this whole re-imaging of um, long-term care, one of our listeners uh, posed a question. Uh, they had attended a, a first policy response meeting. And a former PSW uh, explained that the Canadian Army report, where, re- where residents were found, you know, sitting in their own waste for hours on end, um, they explained as well that they, you know, there was only two PSWs working at the time to service only 16 residents, uh, many of whom required more than one PSW, PSW to attend to their needs during each shift, including any acute care or emergencies. Um, there was just not enough time to care for all these residents during the shift, and therefore it was common practice that residents would, you know, sit in their own waste for long periods of time. Would you be able to tell us as to what your party plans on taking uh, in regards to the hours of care, the wages of long-term care staff, and how many staff will, it, will any increase be elevated to, to a particular standard uh, in long-term care?
1: Yeah, so I mean, first of all, uh, I've supported for a long time a minimum standard of care four hours a day, and that's for all residents. Um, I think there's been a little question, like, is that for every resident or is that average? And, and so I think a minimum standard for every resident, hiring enough staff to um, be able to manage that in properly in a, in a sustainable way. Uh, And again, making sure that uh, we have proper ratios uh, when it comes to trained staff. Um, The government's indicated that they're sort of moving forward with this um, resident care provider that has even a lower level of training than PSWs. So I would like to see trained PSWs and trained registered nurses in proper ratios so we have trained, qualified staff. Uh, all staff need to be paid a living wage. So I would like to see, not only see the um, pandemic pay made permanent, but to see, you know, an average of around $5 an hour pay increases, especially for PSWs. But that means that you need to have a, across the board pay increases. Uh, so that means uh, registered nurses in long-term care homes. It means, you um, You know, uh, you know, food staff, cleaning staff, etc. So I know there's been a lot of focus on PSWs, as there Mm -hmm. should be. I mean, I would argue that PSWs do some of the most important work. It's some of the hardest work. Um, It requires a deep level of empathy and care, uh, and it's grossly underpaid. Uh, But we need to be looking at all staff as well, because it takes everyone uh, to make sure there's high quality of care. Uh, and 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 good outcomes and good quality of life experiences for residents uh, and then to guarantee full-time work with benefits i mean i think one of the things that you know i find problematic about our society in general is that oftentimes the caring professions so whether it's people providing elder care or child care uh, in particular but other forms of caring professions but those two segments in particular uh, tend to be grossly underpaid and undervalued in our society. And, you know, I think, you know, what's more important than caring for our loved ones, whether, you know, it's our parents and grandparents, or it's our children and nieces and nephews. And so investing more in, in um, the caring professions is so critically important in making sure people are adequately compensated for the good work that they do.
0: Oh, for sure. And then the fact that you mentioned in terms of looking at everybody, all the participants uh, that do work within long term care so that is your dietary staff, your physiotherapist, your occupational therapist, everyone that does come in to be able to make sure that everyone is taken care of and being looked at and a part of that whole um, management of care as well. And then, I guess, yeah, on that I note, if
1: you would, if you don't mind me, just to mm. I've met with a number of uh, long-term care um, you know executive directors, general managers, you know sort of senior administrators, and all of them have said that they really welcome the pandemic pay. Yes. But because it's only focused on you know one one yeah. group of staff that is creating some complications and in some cases, resentment, among other staff that don't qualify for that pandemic pay. And so I think the government needs to to recognize the importance, just even for staff morale, teamwork, the sense of everyone being together to ensure that everyone is adequately compensated.
0: Yeah. So no one is left out. So everyone's all, all on the same, same page. And that's what's uh, definitely needed at this point in time, because all, all of their roles and responsibilities are just as important. Yes, um, as you said before, the PSWs are the ones that are more talked about and rightfully so, but however, this other supporting people that are part of the whole um, concept of for long-term care for supporting that particular resident needs to be looked at as well because we can't leave anybody out or leave anyone behind as well. So um, the what I would say though, In regards to, I guess, for, um, you know, in the next question is that um, currently in long term care, the majority of the workforce are women and it's women caring for other women, again, being paid by, you know, minimum wage. And um, how would you, like, I know you've mentioned that, yes, there should be standards of care, but how can we ensure that they don't get overworked moving forward uh, in long term care?
1: Yeah, that's exactly why we need to hire additional staff, and we need to make sure that all of our long-term care facilities are adequately staffed. Um, You know, some of the reports of, you know, two PSWs caring for 16 residents is just completely unsustainable. And I would challenge any politician, I've taken some of the challenges um, of, you know, can you get yourself all ready in 5 minutes <laughs> you, right, know, like, right, you know like right. toilet shower shave clean yourself up be dressed can you do that in 5 minutes so to expect you know a PSW to provide that kind of care in such a short amount of time is just completely unsustainable and unrealistic and and it, it, it's so hard because i've met with so many PSWs in particular who care deeply about the people um, that, that they serve. And it breaks their heart to know that they are doing everything they can and are completely run off their feet and, and are paying for that in their own physical and mental health, yes. um, trying to do the best they can to um, care for residents in impossible situations because there simply is not enough staff. And so that's why we have to make sure that when we look at minimum standards of care for hours, mm-hmm. that it's equated with staff ratios that make that possible and sustainable for everyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because that needs to um, that needs to be a part of the discussion, and it definitely needs to to be examined a little bit more closely to be. As you said, the four hours. Whether that staffing ratio is five to one, six to one, but it definitely needs to be defined as to what that's going to look like um, moving forward. So, I know it when it when it comes to you know to people. You stated that your party will improve health by preventing illness, not treating it. Um, providing more support for mental health, primary and community care. We (coughs) must make Ontario fair for everyone by fighting against systemic racism and sexism. And let's uh, make our democracy work for all citizens, not just for well-connected insiders. More than ever, residents and staff of long-term care have needed change in a way that they have are currently living, how much they are working all while putting themselves at risk and facing age and sex discrimination. Uh, Would you be able to tell us how your party will support those living and those working in long-term care on those lines for your party's um, platform?
1: Yeah, well, I think, I mean, first of all, let's let's have an honest discussion. And I think one of the reasons that uh, PSWs and other staff uh, in long-term care uh, homes, tend to be grossly underpaid and undervalued, uh, is because predom- they're predominantly women—not exclusively, but predominantly women—and oftentimes are Black, Indigenous people of color, and and so I think systemic racism plays a role in why uh, the caring professions are so underfunded, and so if we're going to provide adequate Standards of care for long-term res- long-term care residents. We have to recognize the role that sexism and racism plays in the way in which um, those homes are staffed, and and so um, you know, calling it out is the first step, and then making the investments uh, to address staffing levels, compensation, full-time pay, benefits. Uh, is the next step. And and so that's why it's so important. And so to me, um, I think it's it's a conversation we need to have uh, on the level of values. What kind of society do we want Ontario to be? How do we see ourselves? Like who are we as Ontarians? Are we the kind of people who are gonna be compassionate and care for people and make sure people live in dignity or not? and so you know if we want to be a compassionate caring inclusive society if we want to build strong resilient caring communities uh, we have to make investments in that and I know you know money isn't the only answer I mean there's a lot of other answers mm-hmm. but the bottom line is is a budget tell says a lot about the values of our province and our communities and if we're going, we have underinvested in long term care for decades. And unfortunately, uh, we saw the tragic consequences of that during COVID. Uh, and I think we owe it to our elders and we owe it to the people who care for our elders to say that that's not the kind of Ontario we want to live in. That's not the values that represent this province. And we are going to make the financial commitment uh, to make sure we address this issue and we do it in a a compassionate, dignified way. And so it really, I think in some ways it starts by, you know, looking ourselves in the mirror and asking ourselves, you know, what kind of province we want to be and what kind of people we want to be. And, and I think we're better than what we've seen in long-term care over the last few decades and certainly what we've seen in the past year. Um, you know, a lot of people have said COVID has hit long-term care uh, residents and elders in every country around the world, and that is true. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the numbers, it's been worse in Ontario and Canada than any other, um, you know, G7, G20 country. And, and so we particularly have a problem here that we need to address.
0: Yeah, we definitely need to look it over and see what exactly that, you know, we really need to invest our time, our money, and how this should be looking uh, moving forward. Now, in regard to yesterday's announcement by the government, do you think that it does go anywhere near four? you know, goes into any depth into what we're, what needs to happen right now as opposed to waiting another at least four years? I think the announcement was before they were start to invest into long-term care.
1: Yeah. So to me, yesterday's announcement was completely inadequate. Uh, uh, we need investments in long-term care right now. We needed investments in long-term care 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so to wait another four years after the tragedy that we've experienced this year. I mean, we've almost lost 2,500 um, of our elders to COVID uh, in 2020. Um, we've lost eight staff members uh, to COVID uh, in long-term care homes. I mean, that's just, uh, it's unacceptable to say that we're going to wait another four years to make the investments needed to increase um. Uh, staffing levels and to ensure higher standards of care. And so I would like to see those investments immediately. Um, And and, and it's important in so many ways. And it gets back to my earlier point where I said, you know, the minister responded and said, well, you can't snap your fingers and just hire more staff, Uh, which is true, which is why we should have started last summer when we, when the, you know, the wave one of the virus exposed how vulnerable our elders Mm -hmm. are in long-term care because it is going to take time and so to come out with an announcement to say we're going to invest 1.9 billion dollars and in four years we're going to have enough staff well it's like no we can't wait now we need to be spending that 1.9 billion dollars right now we need to guarantee a permanent pay increase uh, to uh, long-term care staff so we can begin to recruit more people so more people will have uh, an incentive uh, to, to um, you know go into the training programs yes. to eventually be staff in long-term care. My fear is is that is if we don't do it now, not only are we not providing the dignified care that our elders need, but we may not even achieve it in four years because I've talked to so many staff who are burned out. are just at the end of their rope and understandably so who have been working in very challenging working conditions prior to COVID and then they've been almost unbearable working conditions during COVID and you know without those folks just passion and dedication and commitment to the people they care for um, you know the whole system would have I think collapsed and so we've asked so much of those staff, and I'm worried that we're going to lose staff uh, without the proper investments now, let alone the investments that are needed to hire additional staff. And so we simply can't wait four years.
0: I, I definitely would agree because with what staff are facing now currently within the uh, with the, with, the, with this pandemic, Many are not are leaving the profession and they're not coming back. So I don't know where staff are going to then be able to come from, to um, in four years time. And not only that, for students that are would would choose this as a profession, because enrollment in some of these classes are are down as well in terms of people choosing that because the outlook or the outcome is not very beneficial for them for, as an, as you said, as an incentive to be part of that work environment. Um, now, going into, um, I guess, with inspection reports with uh, within long-term care, how do you think that should be changed and done moving forward for long-term care?
1: Yeah, well, we just simply need to have on-site inspections. I mean, to to know that, you know, there are only nine inspections uh, of long-term care homes in 2019, uh, it's just unacceptable. And no matter how much the government can try to uh, spin their way out of that, um, you know, I think it's had a contribution uh, to what we saw uh, or what we've seen in 2020. And so, uh, you know, I think we need to go back to an inspection regime where there is on-site inspection for every long-term care home every year, and um, and to make sure that the rules are enforced.
0: That's good. No, no, that's that's uh, that's great. Yeah, and and in terms of how they would be enforced, what do you mean by that? In terms of would just not a written notice, it's going to be, is there going to be monetary penalties with that as well?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, you would want monetary penalties to be last resort, of course, Mm -hmm. but certainly, uh, you know, having the stick, so to speak at your disposal is absolutely essential. So if you're going to have uh, facilities that are non-compliant and don't take action to be compliant then um, sometimes, unfortunately, monetary penalties, is the only way to get some uh, facilities to comply. And so the government should have that um, in the toolkit for sure.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. And then just lastly here. Um, so you grew up on a farm and you have been a strong advocate for local food. Um, if you were living in long-term care, how would you like to have your eggs served? Because that seems to be a a question that comes up quite often.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, I would like to have real eggs <laughs> and not some sort of powdered egg or anything like that. And then my personal preference is an omelet. I have an omelet every day. But I think people should be given the option. Some people like scrambled eggs. Some people like omelets. Some people like fried eggs, some people like poached eggs. Um, I think residents should have the opportunity uh, to, to make, you know, to have some choice uh, because that's part of, uh, you know, dignity and and, in your life.
0: Absolutely. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on to the long-term care chronicles again and uh, sharing and taking your time. I really appreciate that. And um, thank you so much.
1: No, it's my pleasure. And, you know, this is such an important issue and it's so tragic that it's taken COVID to uh, expose what so many people already knew was the the inadequate resources in our long-term care homes. Uh, And I just want to say we owe it to our elders and we owe it to the people who care for them to make sure that we never allow something like this to happen again.
0: Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Thank you again.
1: Bye for now.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode and hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please leave a comment as we would love to hear your feedback. Please follow us on Twitter at Family Councils and Facebook at Family Councils Collaborative Alliance. Again, thank you.